Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Christopher Patterson. I am a doctoral candidate at the University of Washington, and I am the host of this podcast, New Books in Asian American Studies. Asian American Studies, as we know, emerged from the Third World Movement in the 1960s and likewise is a fundamentally interdisciplinary social project. So this podcast features books on anthropology, history, literature, art, political science, and sociology, all that help us understand the varied experience of Asian Americans living in or interacting with the United States. Today we are joined by Dr. Nicholas Hartlep, who is an assistant professor at Educational Foundations at Illinois State University. Dr. Hartlep was an Advanced Opportunity Program Fellow at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where he earned his PhD in the Social Foundations of Urban Education. He is a former public school teacher. He has taught in Minnesota and Wisconsin, as well as in Quito, Ecuador. He is an author and currently working on his fourth and fifth book. We will discuss his book, I think it's his first book, The Model Minority Stereotype, Demystifying Asian American Success, which was published by Information Age Publishing in June of this year. Hartlip's book, The Model Minority Stereotype, is a source book of annotated bibliographies that offer summaries and sometimes critiques of Asian American scholarship dealing with the model minority stereotype. As the stereotype has continued to be a heated and political and social issue among Asian American scholars, activists, and people, it can be difficult to decipher the thousands of articles, chapters, and theses written about it. By framing his project through an aggressive and forward-thinking lens, Dr. Hartlep traces the diverse histories and themes pervading the model minority scholarship, revealing their presumptions and contributions to the general field. Uh, Nicholas, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, thank you. This is your first book. Yes, I didn't get that wrong. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself, uh, the intellectual trajectory that brought you to write uh, this book. Sure. So um, as you said in the introduction, uh, I was introduced to the model minority stereotype uh, while I was completing my PhD. Um, I was interested in the topic because I myself I'm Asian, I'm a Korean adoptee, and so the model minority stereotype, um, as I learned it in graduate school, really gave me language and theories 
to describe, you know, what I experienced in my day-to-day life, you know, from kindergarten onward. And Mm. so I was uh, introduced to the topic after I read Stacey Lee's um, book, Unraveling uh, the Mono Minority Stereotype. And then from there, um, as you said in the intro, I did my degree at Milwaukee. Um, Stacey Lee is at Madison. And so from there is pretty much when uh, I was uh, introduced as well as continued to study the topic in more detail. And I used part of the Mono Minority Stereotype um, within my dissertation. Why do you, uh, in the very beginning of the book, you refer to yourself as a critical Asian-American academic? And I've heard that critical uh, word be used with Asian-American before, but can you explain that uh, in the title uh, that you use and how that kind of helps you understand the model minority stereotype? Sure. So uh, for me, critical means um, anything really, for the most part, that's uh, anti-status quo. And so I Mm. self-describe... Um, critical, I use the term critical Asian American um, in that sense of the word. Um, I'm a Foundations of Education professor, so much of what I teach students who are undergrad and doctoral students is that really there's three lenses, right, in which we can interpret the world. There's an interpretive, there's the critical, and there's a normative. And so I tend to rely on critical understandings of society and schools. And for me, that's quintessential when we talk about Asian American studies. Um, you you introed, you talked about the Third World Movement. And um, oftentimes, there's a misunderstanding or perhaps an unawareness that Asian American civil rights has its own issues and movement. And it, civil rights has not simply been a black issue. Let's put it that way. Mm. Yeah, I, I think uh, the word critical is interesting because it also suggests that Asian American uh, as a term or as an identity even could be part of that normative way of thinking that you described or maybe the interpretive way. Um, and so it necessitates then this word critical. Is that kind of how you're you're viewing its use? Like as Asian American become kind of de-invested with uh, politics? Yeah, so yeah, so you're right, the political construction. Um, you know, I'm not opposed of using other terms such as Asian Pacific American or AAPI. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that the Pacific American um, folk who tend to be homogenized and lumped within Asians have had a different socio-historical experience. Um, and again, but, but I don't want to, um, to trivialize that these terms that we use are important. Like I said, I self-describe that way. I know others who, who are adoptees and, and perhaps would just say they're Asian American and not use the term Korean. I tend to use, I prefer the term Korean, although I was raised in a transracial home here in the United States. Let's uh, use that to segue right to the book, uh, The Model Minority Stereotype. Uh, first of all, uh, for our listeners, can you just tell us what the Model, minor- model Minority Stereotype is, uh, how it developed, uh, why you see it as a problem? Definitely. Um, so the model minority stereotype really was born when William Peterson, a professor of sociology at Berkeley in California, he wrote um, a article that was published in the New York Times Magazine, and the, the article was titled Success Story, Japanese-American Style. And so mm. it really drew national media attention. And again, um, for listeners, I'm talking within the United States. The model minority stereotype um, exists in other countries. So what I'm what I'm speaking of right now is in North America. Um, 
in particular the United States. So Peterson's um, article was published, and really in that piece he really continually ad nauseum repeated this whole idea, right, that the Japanese in America were the best citizens, even better than native-born whites. Um, mm -hmm. Later, other other publishing um, venues and outlets um, reported things similar, right? So the U.S. News and World Report, they published its own story called Success Story of One Minor one minority group in the U.S. And so the only difference between Peterson's and that one, that article, really was that and the, the U.S. News and World Report highlighted the ways in which the Chinese got ahead rather than the Japanese. So, so if we follow this trajectory, which began in 66, right, Peterson's, um, we see that there is some noticeable patterns in these stories. And these stories really show that um, Asian American subgroups are moving from poverty to prosperity, right? Um, and that itself supports the American dream. So to define the model minority stereotype in its most simplistic way is this stereotype of Asian success. Um, mm. And I say the most simplistic because it's not a positive stereotype, and then also that there's facets within the positive, arguably, some people say, stereotype that is more insidious, such as yellow peril. And so mm. the model minority stereotype, I would operationalize it as kind of like the most, the broadest umbrella term, and beneath that umbrella term, you will find other stereotypes, so like Asian peril, yellow peril, um, Asian invasion, um, chink, gook, um, so, so those more of fear and paranoia, which ultimately really caused, right, the internment of Japanese Americans who did nothing criminal, right? Um, they were citizens, yet they were um, thrown in these concentration camps, right? And so, that that's how I define it in its most simplistic form. And also, we have to understand, too, if we, we have that basic understanding of what the stereotype is, is its form and function and perhaps the mm -hmm. impact it has on other ethnic and racial groups, marginalized groups. And so while we could say that the model minority uplifts certain groups of Asians, while it does that, it's simultaneously oppressing and pushing down um, mm. other groups, so um, Hispanics, blacks, and so it's not, it's not really a zero-sum game because it's, it's oppressive mm. to all people. I would argue even white people. Mm. I was interested in, in uh, the idea that when the term was first used, it was actually compared the model minorities to, uh, as you called them, uh, native whites. When usually when yeah. we think of that term, yeah. it's, it's we compare it, as you said, to Hispanics or Blacks or other minorities, right? The model minority. Uh, how does it uh, affect whites in that way? I mean, does it was that part of the original argument? Has that been lost in the way we think about the model minority stereotype? Yeah, so it, it, it raises really important questions, right, Christopher? I mean, so there's other there's a couple of other articles, Bob Suzuki being one of them, um, who's written about this media hype. And, and, and it, again, it's interrelated in that, right, if Asians are out-competing and out-performing um, whites or European, I use that term broadly, right, mm. um, then what does that cause? Well, it causes fear because, um, by and large, um, the white establishments 
would like to maintain its privilege and dominance. And so the moment that Asians look like they're pulling ahead in the race, right, whites will mm. um, be fearful. And they will, they will, you know, use various tactics. I read one article recently out in California um, where affirmative action um, is a very contentious and hot topic, right? And essentially in that study they found that whites um, – their their attitude towards affirmative action um, changed in relationship to their perception of Asian American dominance, and so um, they're more they they will withdraw support if it if it's going to benefit Asians and not themselves. Mm. And so we have to understand right the triangulation that that um, Jean Claire Kim has articulated of whites, Asians, and blacks is, is really um, fluid, and it changes given the, the historical moment where we're currently in. It's fascinating the way that you're, you're looking at the model minority stereotype through, I guess, through a very contemporary lens, and also even though you, you state that it's mostly about the U.S., it's also quite transnational uh, in the sense that, you know, if you read Time magazine in the last, like, three or four months, it's, they have articles about China being very unfree and totalitarian or whatever. And then they also have articles um, about how about the education and how it's going to take over, you know, or the, the, the intellectual production there. Um, and so it's quite interesting that you have the, the theme of yellow peril getting replaced by model minority um, stereotype. But now they seem to be coming together in odd ways. Is that kind of one of the trajectories that you've seen lately? Absolutely. They, they've always been bedfellows. Um, yeah, recently the whole China hysteria, um, Jimmy Kimmel, um, mm. some listeners may have seen his kids' table talk, um, in which was very uh, racist. Um, certainly it could have been edited out, and he received a lot of backlash and negative media attention. And, and so, as I understand, he has retracted. He won't, he won't do similar um, skits like that, but can, can that, you tell us just what, what happened in that skit? Can you tell us what happened in that skit, just for yeah, audiences so who in don't the know? Skit, in the skit, they uh, Kimmel is asking um, little children um, right um, questions about um, the U.S. debt to China and what we should do. And you know, sillily, the the children respond, right? We kill the Chinese, and Kimmel goes back and forth um, in terms of, well, you know, if you owe a debt, should you? Should you um, repay it? And some of the the comments are very much um, loaded, right? So one of the mm. child says, "We need to build a great big wall so they can't get to us, right? So we can obviously the Great Wall of China is real, and mm. and so it's very insensitive. But I say that because it is very transnational. And you're absolutely right. The model minority stereotype. Um, exists in other countries, Asian and non. And even before we talk about the transnational um, element of it, we have to understand that Asians were intentionally selected, and they were not the first model minority in terms of a North American context. Jews were, for the most part, the first model minority. And so that's, that begs a few questions. A, would um, are Asians the, you know, only the beginning? Will a new a minority group emerge as, you know, another type of model minority. Um, mm -hmm. Second, um, be the question of why aren't scholars doing more work 
um, in different settings on the model minority stereotype. And I would speculate that the field, Asian American and non-Asian American field, so my field, educational foundations, um, ethnic studies, um, other fields, socio sociology, they will begin to do more work looking at it, you know, in different contexts. China, mm. um, New Zealand has some work. Um, I just read a new article published um, this year um, in the UK, Germany. So all around the globe, um, this phenomenon has been documented to exist. What are some uh, like specific examples of model minorities in different countries? Are they usually um, Asian or, or Jewish, or, or can like anybody be a model minority so long as they? And what's the kind of what does that do then for the state? Like, what's the state's interest in having a model minority? Yeah, so it's very much part of the state. It's very much state-sponsored. In terms of North American, mm -hmm. right, the Washington consensus um, needs a model minority mm -hmm. because it invalidates, you know, the accusation that society is unequal. And so by, by pointing out success stories, it invalidates the black experience. It invalidates the poor experience, and it pretty much blames the victim. And the state engineers it so well um, in concert with media that basically the, the oppressed really internalize that. And so it's problematic mm. when you see Asian Americans or model minorities um, commit bodily harm, right, uh, attempt suicide, mm. um, depressive um, states of, um, you know, um, depression, mental health issues. And in, in fact, right, they should be receiving support, but they've internalized this ideology that um, mm. is really state-constructed, right? So, mm. um, absolutely. It's very insidious. It's very insidious. And, and at its face, it's very hegemonic. I mean, because mm. uh, our basic common sense would say, well, it's not a bad, bad thing, right? I, mm. I would love to, I ask my students this, right? They say, well, well Dr. Howard, why is it such a bad stereotype? It's positive, isn't it? Or they'll say, you know, it, it's, it's not racist. And so that substitution of culture for race mm. is used as this kind of let's wash our hands clean, absolve ourselves from being, being accused of being racist. It's very much colorblind. And mm. so if we say, well, it's because of their culture that they're good. Or it's, you know, they're, they're just brought up that way. It's traditional, right? It's Confucianism. Mm -hmm. And um, that's very problematic. And I would, I would call foul right away on that. that. I think that's interesting that you mentioned that. And, uh, and if China also has model minorities or Japan, you know, that would also, uh, you know, how they use culture as, as a way to do that would be really interesting, I think, as a... Um, a kind of a project that you say that should be challenged and, sh and scholars should do. Um, my own work is on Singapore and Malaysia, looking at model minorities there and often using South Asians as a kind of model minority that has made it, therefore the others, you know, haven't quite lived up to that. Um, and I guess you can see that in China with, uh, with Tibetans, you know, the way that uh, they're kind of the last rung on the ladder, but then you have these other minorities that uh, the Chinese state props up as being success stories. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting to see it as a transnational uh, uh, project, I think. Um, Absolutely. On, on, Absolutely. Uh, to, to go back to uh, the origins of the term, uh, the two articles that you discussed are 
mostly about Chinese and Japanese Americans. So I, I wanted to ask uh, if the model minority stereotype it mostly seems to apply to East Asian Americans more than others, and how does that kind of what does that mean for like uh, Filipino Americans, um, people from Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam? As, absolutely. Um, well, first, you, you're right. You asked this right, uh, really important question of who are we speaking of. And by and large, in the North American context, we are speaking of East Asian. And we're talking about people that fit this ideal type, right? Black hair, mm. certain eye features, certain behaviors, mannerisms, which is reified by um, – not only visuals and text images, right, but also mm-hmm. movies. And so in the, in the Model Minority Stereotype Demystifying Asian American Success book, right, that we're talking about here, I do look at um, movies in the media, right, articles, newspaper articles, dissertations, theses. And so mm-hmm. your question, though, I think is an important one because what I see in the literature, and, and if I read the word in the world as Freire and Macedo tell us to do, I would I would say that um, while Southeast Asians and South Asians certainly have been in the literature, we're, we we tend to perseverate on Japanese and Korean. Now mm-hmm. it is interesting if you look at the time periods, right, from the 60s onward to now. Um, the Y2K and 2010s, I would say that there was a point in time in which Southeast Asians were introduced to the literature and people would point out, oh, look at the Vietnamese, they're overcoming such difficulty and look at their success stories. And Mm. I would say that that occurred 70s, um, late 70s, early 80s. Um, but the literature does contain both, um, you know, East Asian and Southeast South Asian, um, different, different subgroups. But, but I think mm. it's important that we understand the public imagination, which is really shaped and, um, by, by movies and entertainment. And so right now, mm. right, we're looking at the Chinese a lot with Jeremy Lin, Amy Chua, um, what you mentioned earlier with the, you know, with the Jimmy Kimmel, and so it it it, it kind of follows the political wind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's clear. Um, and you quote Vijay Prashad quite a bit in the book, and I think that it's clear when he was writing a, a Karma of Black of a Brown Folk, right? The mm-hmm. the idea that uh, for him South Asians were kind of the new model minority at the time, uh, but. Again, that was a kind of that seems like that was alongside a political win, as you say. Where now mm-hmm. we wouldn't see we would we would again see probably Chinese again, maybe because of Jeremy Lin, Amy Shua, or the these articles that keep coming out about China. Um, on, on that, I wanted to since you mentioned the, all the essays that you cite, uh, I was interested when I was reading the book. I did expect just a lot of kind of journal articles um, and chapters, but you do uh, uh, use a lot of articles and uh, theses and things like that. Um, in your source book. Uh, so first of all, I, I, I think me, like a lot of the audience, uh, wasn't quite clear what the uses of a source book are. I've seen a lot of bi- uh, annotated bibliographies, source books, um, but I think it's interesting. Uh, can you tell us what a source book is and how you felt that um, writing a source book about this particular issue uh, was necessary? 
Sure. So the book of that term, uh, right, of that source book, the book being it's a book, and mm. the sources, just simply speaking, sources of information. One thing that I noticed when I um, was doing a literature review for my dissertation on the modern minority stereotype, certainly certain citations continually um, come up, and they're, they're, they're cited at higher rates. Which, which could be a function of air quality, or it could simply be a function of right at, as time goes, an author gains traction. One thing, though, I wanted to dig more because I thought, right, I'm reading um, the literature. It seems to be saturated with the same arguments time and time again, which is a good mm. thing. It also opens up um, avenues for new work. And I looked and tried to find as many different sources of information to get a different perspective. And so that led me to read dissertations, species, popular press, um, like you mentioned, book chapters, anything. Um, my methodology, if you will, was simply if the model minority stereotype or model minority myth was contained in the title. And there's pretty much one reason why. One is, if it's in the title, it's pretty important. <laughs> it's also um, the focus of, of the work. And finally, for an author to include it really says a lot about him or her and his or her thoughts. And what do I mean by that? Well, looking at the literature, right, I'm, I'm not clear. But I, I tend to use the term model minority stereotype. To me, it's a stronger mm -hmm. word than model minority myth. And so if an author uses model minority myth as opposed to stereotype, I think that really reveals a lot about his or her orientation or epistemology, um, conceptually, um, figuratively, however we want to use that word. Um, and, and, and so that's essentially what I did. I just searched high and low. And it's interesting. The, the, the funniest thing I would say as a process of that is um, I came across a book. It was a Vanity Press um, self-published book. And essentially this author had published a book, and I don't even know the legality of it, published a book of Wikipedia citations. <laughs> and so to me, that was a very interesting. And then probably the other most interesting um, piece that's in the book that I cite that I've reviewed is um, a article or story, an entry published in the YWCA or YMCA um, New York um, bulletin um, written by Jamie Liu, actually, um, who, who has done amazing work ab uh, uh, for about Koreans in New York. Um, another thing that really motivated me to do the work uh, and search out, right, so my strategies, right, interlibrary loan, um, hmm. calling up Library of Congress, calling up local libraries, buying the books, all of those things, was that sometimes I could tell people were citing they just go to Google, find some articles, put it in, and they, they didn't even spell Peterson right. So if anyone spells Peterson right, maybe it's an innocent mistake. But to me, archival work, right, going and getting on the microfiche, all of that is important. I'm looking at it right now, William Peterson. It's an E-N. And um, the copy I have, the New York Times Magazine, published in January 9th, 1966, right? It's so pixelated. But to me, that's important that I look at these mm. real original documents. And, and we obviously citing people's names right is important. <laughs> so...
So there seems to be, so after doing so much research uh, and just kind of the summaries in the book, uh, by the way, are really amazing because I, I'm, I'm used to reading annotated bibliographies, so I expected just this kind of very neutral um, take on everything. And it, it had that, but it was also, there were moments where you seemed to, um, I guess the wisdom of all of this research was kind of coming to the foreground on some of these. Um, especially in the introduction, you mentioned um, that some of the scholarship on Asian on the model minority stereotype has been uh, narrow, as you put it, and that you want to kind of do this project as a way to bring focus on more avant-garde uh, approaches to the stereotype. Uh, can you describe maybe what the narrow views are uh, that you saw, or maybe the, just the dominant ones that you saw were um, maybe a little bit too dominant, and then the, the avant-garde ones that you uh, paradigms that you were referring to? Absolutely. I think we need to push ourselves as a field, and when I say field, um, it could be your field, it could be my field. I'm in the field of educational studies, um, Asian American studies. They've done tremendous work, and I applaud anyone that does model minority research. I applaud you. But I think we can get comfortable, and we can rely on paradigms, rights, and understandings by modal distribution, disaggregation. And I think that we need to look in other fields to inform our scholarship. Poetry, for one, right? So we, mm. we really harangue um, what, why it's so evil, the stereotype and everything. We need to push, maybe articulate what a social justice society, what a socially just society looks like for Asian Americans, right? For identity, mm. intersectionality, the, the Asian American experience. Um, I think statistically, we, we can come up with more complex modeling. We can get our data from different sources that we may have never thought of. Um, and that's the avant-garde pushing the envelope. Um, one area that I'm doing that with, with a statistician at Baylor, Grant Morgan, is we recently published a paper using um, mixture modeling, a uh, statistical approach to analyzing and finding classes of students within this right um, homogenized group. And so my, my biggest thing is when I continue to read these articles, a lot of times they were going back to these foundational anchors, right, these pillars mm. of, of hybridity or um, heterogeneity, which, are, which is mm. a, helpful, but I think we can do so much more. And that's the, the, that's the, the joy of um, being an academic, um, but it's also the curse, right, is, mm. is coming up with new thought-provoking ways of, of discourse. And, and that's the biggest thing that I see really is what you, you've already said, um, Christopher, is the transnational piece. And we have mm -hmm. to tie it to history and culture and, 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 and study it. You know, the Vietnamese in Germany, for instance, or the, the, the ethnic Koreans in China, those are other mm -hmm. minority groups in non-U.S., non-North American spaces. Um, uh, I just talked to a, a scholar who's doing work um, in Australia, right? Mm -hmm. And so Asians are all over. And then also you, you raise a good point, right? Are other groups going to be model minorities? I read in the literature um, some author had made the argument that um, Africans uh, will become the new 
model yeah. minority because they're doing so well. And so the success mm-hmm. they might be doing well, but how does that complicate the racial paradigm of the model minority stereotype as supposedly a yellow body or an honorary white body as opposed to a very black per se um, body in that um, how, who, who will it become, you know, who will they be juxtaposed against? And so this is the more nuanced work that I feel the field can do. And when I talk about field educational studies, Asian American studies, and, um, and I get great pleasure um, whenever I come across new work and I get to read it. That's fascinating. Like that you mentioned that if Africans are becoming a model minority in some countries, it's, it, it seems to also speak to that transnational view because there's so many countries that invest money in African countries. And so it could be kind of, you know, a whole a global model minority, I guess, in some ways that would be interesting to uh, to look at. Um, on the, I think we we talked quite a bit about how Asian Americans and other model minorities around the world are kind of constructed through the interests of the state, um, but there also seems to be this con- this this uh, context of global capital um, that might also be reflected in how a- uh, model minorities are kind of produced. And I, I was wondering how the model minority stereotype uh, reflects global capitalism now, um, or maybe just the kind of supposed. Uh, meritocracy of neoliberalism like how does the the stereotypes kind of serve that absolutely so right in some of my work i use critical race theory and i would say whiteness as property and colonial mm. issues that need to be taken in consideration whenever we talk about an asian body um within the united states um being Korean, um, I was in Korea, and every time I'm in Korea, uh, every time I'm in Korea, I'm never amazed by the amount of European um, imperial dominance that that's mm. all over the place in the subway. And, and what I mean by that is I'm talking about the Asian body, especially mm. female body. So when we talk about cosmetic mm. surgery, body enhancement, breast augmentation, the eyes, L'Oreal, if you Google it, um, in Singapore, uh, uh, they have um, ads of for makeup and it, it, and it's called like right the white is beautiful and 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 so Asian eyelid surgery what compels um, Koreans or Chinese or Japanese women to right undergo cosmetic surgery why do they want eyelids that look more representative of non-Asian um, type eyelids and well, I mean pornography the field uh, right the the body how it's fetishized and um, commodified commercialized for for an audience, well, I argue what audience now i'm I'm not specifically I'm not talking about just purely right heterosexual white men who who like asian women I, there's mm. there's numerous consumers that that um, spend money on that industry, but I'm interested in right the cultural essentialism of the Asian body um, who who's considered Asian who's not um, all of that should be taken into consideration because it's not only like the nerd syndrome that Asians are geeks. You know, mm-hmm. whenever someone says, you know, you're a geek, at the same time, in some ways, they're calling you a gook. They might not articulate it as such, but that's how embedded these other xenophobic um, um, stereotypes are, are, are. They're linked, right? It's not mm-hmm. positive because the history, at least in North America, Right when we talk about um, internment, uh, the railroad system that was constructed by Asians, um, all of those things 
even the policies, the exclusionary policies of immigrating into the United States, really, like you said, is state-sponsored. The model minority stereotype really came in the 60s, 65, 66. Mm. But what happened, right, during that time in terms of immigration? Well, immigration um, policies were changed, and so the tables mm -hmm. turned that highly educated Asians were coming to the United States. Prior to that, they were very service-oriented, right, mm -hmm. low-educated um, laborers, coolie labor. And so while I said it's so problematic not only for Asians, the modern white stereotype is problematic for even white people because even white people, you need to look at your history right, of how Asians were used to export your labor in some respects as strike breakers, right, so mm -hmm. the, reg the rednecks and all of this, right, mm -hmm. so that speaks to whiteness to me, that speaks to power relations, that speaks to rhetoric, hyperbole, and those are some fundamental things that we need to address before we can ever entertain a discussion about a supposedly positive stereotype. And again, I'm speaking from my opinion um, from reading the literature. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of get focused a bit more on the kind of everyday experience of the model minority stereotype. As you said, this comes from your own personal experience. Uh, I was wondering how gender kind of plays in, uh, into the model minority stereotype, how women are maybe viewed differently than men or can expect uh, a different or have different expectations put upon them uh, than men uh, in this stereotype or um, even queer men, queer women, lesbians, gay men. Uh, what are the kind of nuances of that stereotype depending on the sexuality, gender of the, of the, uh, the, the Asian American? Sure. So when I say speaking of my personal experience, it is personal experience. I, um, I think it's important to clarify for listeners um, that going through high school, I certainly was not constructed as the quote-unquote model minority going to Harvard mm. or Yale. Um, I actually was told that, you know, you, you if you go to college, maybe a two-year. If you go to four-year, you, you need to go to these low state schools. And I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, um, mm. um, but, but going to what, what you asked, going to the media, uh, movies is one area for evidence. And so the model minority stereotype, uh, the feminization of it, so the Asian body for men, men in particular are femin effeminate, they're mm -hmm. um, emasculated, so uh, you, you see it, I see it all over, uh, in the movie Transformers, there's this comedian guy who, who has some really sexualized um, right um jokes and and whatnot mm -hmm. how they're portrayed it's not simply bruce you know the kung fu fighter type because when you look at it who is constructed to be asian in movies um yellow facing which you know is similar to black facing is whites playing the roles of asian people the exotification, right, the Madame mm -hmm. Butterfly idea, Lotus Blossom, that the Asian, right, they're submissive, they're highly sexualized. Um, also, the males as not leaders, right, incompetent mm -hmm. to be leaders, and that's one practical implication that I know um, business schools are starting to have academies to give 
um, Asian Americans, um, the social capital and skill sets, right? How do you be charismatic? How do you hold a boardroom? Um, how do you network and try to be in those spaces? And so, the right, if you're not a leader, well, then people, will people vote for you? Are, you know, are you going to mm-hmm. become a politician, right? We all say, well, Barack, he's black. He's in, you know, he's in the White House. Well, I would argue, have we ever had a president who looked like or at least had background of Asian ancestry, right, mm-hmm. in the United States? And there's survey data that would support this idea that the United States is more prepared for a woman president and or a black president, well, which has passed, but an African-American president than an Asian president. Mm. And that is historical because Asians have been constructed as being sneaky, right, dangerous, um, manipulating and right that they they would um, do bad things. So that might be in the subconscious level, but there are practical consequences for the model minority stereotype. One one interesting book that has been foundational in my understanding has been Deborah Wu's book Glass Ceilings and Asian Americans: hmm. The New Face of Workplace Barriers. And so. Um, Right, the barriers, the glass ceiling, if you will, or the bamboo ceiling, we sometimes refer to it, you mm-hmm. know, equally tied to a sticky floor phenomenon, you know. So I, I, I always ask myself, well, why are there not more Asian American leaders, um, political or CEOs? Is it caused by stereotypes of them being nerds and only computer technicians, engineers? And, and and so I challenge myself really to be outspoken about this because I think there are many, many Asian American um, people who would make great leaders in this country. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of the literature that I, I studied, uh, something like, you know, Woman Warrior, uh, Kingston's book, uh, there's there's numerous literature that, that seems like semi-autobiographical, but it also gives us an interesting lens on uh, how the stereotype affects sexuality especially. For women, uh, like in Kingston's book, uh, often it just represses sexuality, this idea that you have to, you know, live up to your your parents and, you know, not run around, especially with people who aren't uh, of other Asian races or ethnicities. And then for uh, for men, it's similarly, uh, especially for queer men, that this repression of that kind of sexuality. Um, do, you, do you see the stereotype affecting um, people that much based on their uh, sexual on their sexual um, identities, their career identity, lesbian identity. Yeah, the, I, I, Christopher, I, to answer that question, I would say definitely. And the only knowledge I have it because I'm a I'm a straight man. I'm married. I have three children. Is mm-hmm. through my gay friends. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, those those friends who are gay and male don't speak on behalf of all gay men and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But but the the friends um, that I know. Um, they they would say certainly at some level there's stereotypes going on whether um, there's a kernel of truth to them or not right is another story mm-hmm. but in terms of that identity piece certainly I mean it's it's transformative we we talk about the field we previously we mentioned how the field what more avant garde things we can do well mm-hmm. that's one area right model minority research with those other marginalized groups but even within the Korean uh, or not even Korean uh, adoptee communities, right? Mm-hmm. So transracial, transnational, transcultural adoption. How do do people, Asian people who are raised by um, 
by uh, whites, how do they internalize the mono-minority state? Or how do they reject it? How does that mm -hmm. impact their identity? And certainly I think the mono-minority stereotype, as I've seen it, has played out in the lives of, I would say, women who are adoptees. And I can mention one, there's a documentary in which this um, Korean adoptee who's female said, you know, if my white parents ever you know, they could have done a better job, and, and, and the interviewer said, well, what, what do you mean by a better job? And she said, well, they could have protected me or at least taught me about how my body will become right, set aside. Uh -huh. And she said yeah. the first time she came across an adult website, right, and 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 so she wasn't prepared, and that had a very mm -hmm. damaging um, impact on her psyche. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that you're right, we need to do more work, but I can only speak um, what my friends who are gay and queer have said, and, and they would say in some, at some level the model minority stereotype is at play for their, um, mm -hmm. their, their identity. Uh, just to uh, uh, jump on that issue of the uh, adaptation, uh, I, uh, as a Korean adoptee yourself, uh, do you feel like the the experience of living with the mild minority stereotype has been very different. And I think what's interesting about it, is too, is that uh, it kind of reveals that a, what's seen as a cultural stereotype, right, about this kind of like Confucianized culture, uh, you know, becoming a model is kind of complicated with ad adoptees who aren't raised, who can't claim to be raised in a culture like that. Do you feel that there's a uh, much difference there, or that there's more to be said about that? Well, it, that brings me um, to, I guess, an article um, by Min Zhu, I believe. She said, are, are Asians becoming white? And, mm -hmm. and so I think at some level, honorary whiteness affords privileges that blackness doesn't, right? That as mm -hmm. model minorities, in some ways, you may be demonized or whatnot, you may be tokenized, but you're, gonna be, you're going to benefit in many ways. And so um, my, my, um, my friend and I, we co-edited a, a book called Unhooking from Whiteness. And in that book, I talk about how I refuse to be a pawn for whiteness. I refuse to use my honorary whiteness to marginalize other groups, even if I get a few benefits from it. And that I will um, actually use what little privilege I have to help more marginalized groups of people. And so I think mm -hmm. that that's connected to your question and comment because, and then again, we have to go back to the history because who was, who is considered white has changed over mm -hmm. time. Irish have become white. Um, and also this honorary whiteness because you will perhaps as an Asian be racialized as a model minority or a honorary white but it means you're not still not one of them, right? It's this mm -hmm. kind of half acceptance. You're in, but you're not totally in, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's pretty much just to distance yourself from other marginalized people of color. And so, so I I, I call foul again. I, I think in the literature, um, popular press, there's books that really mm -hmm. show how agents have been complicit in perpetuating mm -hmm. the model minority stereotype. Um, to benefit, whether they know it or not. And I'm thinking of uh, Girl in Translation by Jean Kwok or other mm -hmm. books who really fit this narrative of the, the American dream.
right? Or mm-hmm. um, how to raise your how to raise your kids um, to be successful. You know, there's there's a book like that, Parenting, right? Something to the effect of, written by um, two Korean um, um, authors. Basically, this is how your key to success. To me, and that book actually predates Amy Chua's Battle Hymn. So I think that mm-hmm. there are many people, Asians especially, who use that to benefit, knowingly or unknowingly are complicit, and they have to understand that that conscious decision, while it might be a coping mechanism that might help them, ultimately we would all be best served in society if they if they speak out against that model minority um, stereotypical um, construction. Hmm. Yeah, Amy Chua herself is quite an interesting subject of study for this because she's a, a Yale professor who <clears throat> whose work before the Tiger Him book uh, was quite fascinating. It was mostly about empire and pluralism, and you know, to a lesser extent, multiculturalism. It, it just—it was amazing to see that she totally used that, I guess, to sell books <laughs> uh, right after that. Um, and her book also was published in in uh, China and in Taiwan and some other Asian countries. It has instead of looking like a Chinese, you know, uh, model minority book, it looks like an American book. Like there's a, the American flag on the cover of the book instead of. Um, what's on the cover of the American edition. So there is a kind of interesting uh, play at work that is really hard to tie down that I think you're, uh, you point to. But uh, on that note, I also wanted to ask um, how much of this stereotype is being reproduced, not only by Asian Americans in, in the U.S., uh, but also how much of it is encouraged by um, the so-called like homeland countries. Uh, does Korea, Japan, um, Taiwan, China, do they have as states, do they seem to have a vested interest in this stereotype uh, being dominant in the U.S.? Oh, absolutely, they do. Um, I, before I respond, I think I think that comment. I was looking up Amy Chua. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know for Wikipedia for all that it is, uh, but uh, it said that she was born in Urbana, and Urbana is just down the road, Urbana-Champaign, Illinois, down uh-huh. the road um, from me. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny, right? But but even even the Chua case, right? I, I think of the Barry Switzer quote: "Some people are born on third base, and they go through life thinking they hit a triple." Right? She was very mm. privileged. It sounds like I don't know. So, um, you know, I don't want to be accused of libel here, but it, it, it sounds like she was um, she had some privileges there. But going to your question about other um, countries and nations, I definitely think they do. Um, Jeremy Lin did a, a, a China tour um, after Lin Sanity swept through mm-hmm. um, the U.S. and even the commercialization of of their their products, right? And so GQ covers or or um, now we have the documentary. I haven't seen Lin Sanity the documentary. That's a problem living in a small town mm-hmm. like Bloomington. But uh, I definitely want to see that. But you, I, I think Volvo and other um, more or global companies, they want to brand these actors or uh, celebrities because they benefit from it. They profit not only financially, but um, right, they're trying to build a, a loyalty to their their product. So if, whether it's a a, a a a vehicle or a publisher that wants to get their book translated, um, I certainly think it's in their best interest to perpetuate this and to benefit from it. Certainly. Okay. Uh, on that note, uh, I am a part of a, 
uh, Seattle Asian American Film Festival, and we are showing Jeremy Lin. So just to plug that real quick, February 6th, uh, if you're in or around Seattle, you can go see Lin Sanity. Um, anyway, so uh, at the, uh, I think we discussed quite a lot of the book. Uh, there's nothing um, left to point out since we're almost out of time. I did want to discuss your other book projects. I thought you only had two others, but now it turns out you have four others. Uh, so you can kind of start wherever you want. Uh, if you just want to talk about the, the latest uh, work that you've been doing, that's fine too. But uh, how does your other work kind of grow out of this, um, if sure. it does, and what are you working on now? Sure. And I apologize if, you, if you're hearing the, my neighbor, they're doing, it sounds like they're doing construction work. I thought I was in a quiet place. Um, uh, I thought it was so, a, a wall growling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing, I, I, I guess I would put a plug in for my own work in the sense that if you Google uh, Model Minority Stereotype Project, that will take you to um, a website that I'm building. You can find more information. So you, you can find it instead of giving you the long URL. If you Google um, the Model Minority Stereotype Project, you'll find the website. Um, so in addition to that work, um, uh, a grad student and I are working on a book that we look at K-12 curriculum, teacher curriculum, um, given that my field is education. Um, and we look for this gook geek construction that we're calling it, mm. right? Um, and, and it kind of goes back, I wanted to jump off, um, earlier you had talked about Vijay Prashad's, right, this idea that he talked about that South Asians are the solution to Du Bois's proposition that and the color line was the biggest issue, right, of the 20th century, that that blacks, right, you're seen as a problem, Asians, you're the solution, right, which I think mm -hmm. Prashad is spot on. But is in the book that we're looking at and analyzing the geek construction, right? So if South Asians are model minorities, how has that shifted and changed uh, since 9-11? And so, right, this terrorism, that how are South Asians racialized? And, and we have um, emerging evidence to support the, the, the belief that South Asians have become constructed as terrorists. So mm -hmm. when we talk about the Boston bombings or other, right, um, interesting enough, Virginia Tech, that massacre happened at the hands of a Korean gentleman. Mm -hmm. And so, right, how these stereotypes, the model minority stereotype is just one embodiment of many different stereotypes. We have stereotypes of poor people. We have stereotypes of women. We have stereotypes, right, for a lot of things. And that they're really interconnected stereotypes. So I would say much of the work I'm doing now um, always ties to stereotypes. Um, um, I wrote a, a book chapter for uh, uh, Paul Gorski's book, um, The Poverty Reader, about um, stereotypes of poor people. How do we come to hold these stereotypes? And that's really linked, um, Christopher, I'm led to that work because as a former teacher and now currently a teacher educator, mm -hmm. um, many times my students buy into and subscribe to these stereotypes implicitly. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the research done at Harvard on implicit bias, there's actually modules that you can take these implicit association tests that really um, reveal hidden biases that we're carrying along with ourselves. Um, 
There's also another book in the works, um, Modern Societal uh, Implications for the Model Minority Stereotype that I'm working on editing in which we look at what are the modern day um, implications for it. You know, who's hurt, mm. who's, uh, who benefits from it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. There's a fascinating article. If, if someone really wants to read an article, I would recommend they read an article by Sakamoto. Uh, I think it was Arthur Sakamoto. Uh, it was published in, uh, recently, either 20, 2010 or 2012. Um, they'll find that on the Model Minority Stereotype website, but he, he extends a really provocative argument um, in that, in that um, the establishment Asian American studies establishment benefits from um, keeping this myth alive, um, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, if we get rid of the problem, well, then, right, if everyone gets healthy, then we won't need doctors. So it's kind of like this idea that there's a self-investment that um, the establishment mm -hmm. is invested in this this myth. Mm. That speaks a lot to what you were saying about the avant-garde uh, paradigms that I've been trying to imagine what would the just society look like. There seems to be that, uh, you know, if everything was great for all Asian Americans, would that be the utopic area? You know, would that be what we're trying to do? And I think your your book points us to, you know, no, that's not, that's, you know, that function would then, uh, you know, disempower other groups, uh, that there's a structural phenomenon going on. I think that's a really awesome contribution of your work. Um, but yeah, so I think we're out of time. That sounds like a, a, all those projects sound great, and I think they grew out very well from, from this book. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, do you have anything else left to say? No, thank you for your time, Christopher. I was honored that I could be on your show. I hope, uh, hope your website and hope what you're doing um, really reaches a lot of audiences. It's really important work you're doing, so thank you. Okay, thank you. I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Nicholas Hartlep, the author of the book, The Model Minority Stereotype. If you're interested in more books about Asian American studies, you can check out uh, the interview with Cindy Yifun Chung on her new book, Citizens of Asian America, Democracy and Race During the Cold War, which is on the New Books in American Studies website and also on iTunes. Thank you again for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.